everybody, welcome to another episode of the Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Creator on Spotlight. We're going to be talking about a campaign that's currently running on Zoop for a comic called Pork Chop Robot Killer. Uh, Tony Gregory is the creator, and he's joining me to tell us all about it. Tony, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you hear that name, Pork Chop Robot Killer, and you're like, huh, what, huh? Um, especially when you see the art, it sounds bombastic, it sounds over the top, it sounds wild. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners what it's all about? Uh, well, it is a 32-page full-color comic. It's uh, the first issue. It's about a lone defiant pig in a world overrun by AI bots. Uh, the bots are scour the landscape and destroying all the, the green, all the, the, the foliage, all the organic life. And they prop up giant uh, metallic robotic structures all over the, the landscape. And uh, Porkchop is on a mission to uh, to remedy that. And we kind of pick it up right uh, in the middle of his story. Yeah, and this, uh, this project, this title, this uh, uh, comic for you has certainly a, a personal connection. Why don't you let our listeners know? Kind of some of the inspiration behind it, and uh, it, that, that story just uh, sounds really interesting to me. Sure, sure. Uh, Pork Chop was my grandfather's nickname. Uh, his his name is Dominic. He was about he was like a five six, two hundred thirty pound uh, Sicilian immigrant. Came over in nineteen thirty nine um, with my grandmother, and she was pregnant with my father at the time. Uh, Mussolini kicked him out, basically. So uh, it was either fight with the Axis or leave. So he decided, hey, yeah, I'm going to go. <laughs> so uh, he came to the States and started a life. And uh, he became a steel worker, an iron worker. He became a foreman. He uh, led crews all over North and South America, down in Brazil and all over the country. Uh, and uh, he passed away in the 80s. He was just a sweet man from that generation, you know, from the, the, the greatest generation. Very quiet, very stoic, but also like very kind um, and very tough. And uh, I wanted to do something to honor him, uh, a comic to honor him. It was around 2018. And um, I quickly realized I wasn't going to be able to do the level of research that it took to, to really do him justice. Uh, as far as like the period piece stuff and researching his upbringing, his family and everything. And, and you know, family stories go. You don't know what's, what's BS and what's real. So um, I decided uh, at the time, I was like, well, I can't do this period piece. But I still want to honor him. And I love the name Porkchop. And I want to call the book Porkchop. What the heck can I do? with a book named, I started basically from the title and reverse engineered it. But at the time I was doodling all these little robots in my sketchbook, like hanging out in the laundromat or hanging out with friends or just killing time in like the DMV or what have you. And just looking at pieces in the environment around me and putting these robots together. And I'm like, well, okay, what? And people were telling me that they dug them. I was showing them their friends and, and whatnot and colleagues. And they're like, I really like these drawings. They're like, you should do a book with these. I'm like, well, I don't know what, what, what could I do? And all of a sudden it kind of clicked to like have this character destroying these things. Cause also like I wanted to draw a big action. Um, I, uh, I, I think like storytelling and action is one of my strong suits in my, in my, my toolbox. Uh, I kind of wanted to explore that with my personal work. And I didn't want to draw like organic things getting destroyed. I really don't like, I don't get off on like blood and guts. Like, you know, it's fine, fine every now and again, but like I didn't want to draw a whole book of like some things getting ripped to shreds all the time. But robots, they have no souls. So, <laughs> you know, have at it. So uh, originally it was going to be a guy. I was doodling this guy and he's kind of like a, a, a drifter in this desert wasteland. And he had a giant cat 
And uh, but I'm like, why would he be named Pork Chop? That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> so I just said, so why don't I just name him a pig? And I don't even have to explain why his name is Pork Chop because he's a pig. And right, right there. So I just turned him into a pig and um, kind of just started the story from there. And uh, yeah, so that's how we got to where we're at, where I'm at. Yeah, and the description it mentions uh, teams being Ninja Turtles. I mean, obviously we're talking about an anthropomorphic pig, so that kind of makes sense. Um, and then also short circuit, obviously, is robots and, and what have yes. you. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, uh, you know, you mentioned doodling it way back when and obviously wanting to uh, honor your grandfather from way back when. It's interesting to me, right? Because now we're talking about robots, we're talking about technology. And the last yeah. couple of years, AI has become this big concern all of a sudden. All of a sudden, yeah. it's a very meta book. Has the story you wanted to tell, has it changed at all? Or is it just kind of reinforcing the ideas you already had? Obviously, you're someone who cares about, you know, the environment and life, you know, you label it as the green in the description here and you mentioned yeah. not wanting this you know show a lot of visceral blood and guts but the story will not say that's fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh it, it didn't like like you said i didn't in 2018 it wasn't on the forefront of the discourse the ai uh debate uh but it was definitely there like i remember people talking about it back then mm -hmm. but it wasn't as much as like oh they're stealing artwork and they're it's it's you know gpt chat or what have you stealing jobs and opportunities and it's in the entertainment industry and the comics industry. So that really wasn't the, the impetus. But uh, now uh, as I'm, you know, developing it more and doing it, putting it up on Zoop, it's as it, be, as it's become such a hot topic, hot button issue, I've definitely like leaned into it a little more, mm -hmm. but that's always kind of been my way. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be 47. So I grew up with limited technology and the internet I've, I've adapted to it and I've, I've, I use it and, and what have you, but I'm not of the generation that grew up with it. So it's not like ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. So there's still like a bit of like, uh, this isn't my thing or like, I'm not comfortable with it. Like even right. setting up this chat today, I'm like, <laughs> make sure I got it. You know, it's kind of makes me nervous and it's nerve wracking to me. So I definitely have like that phobia of it or like this aversion to it, you know? Um, but also in the book, as it goes, I don't, I don't want to give away the ending. Um, but you grow to learn that perhaps maybe the AI isn't the biggest evil. Yeah, and that's you know that's a true true of anything, right? Like it's a tool. You think yes. uh, I, I think the best analogy I've heard of um, of AI's in uh, technology as a tool, it's like a it's like a steak knife, right? You could stab somebody with it, you could literally kill somebody with it, but you yep. also will cut your meat or you know cut open a pack yeah. or, or whatever. So it's all how it's wielded. Uh, yes, who wields so, it? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that 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 might be without giving it away. That might be storyline. It might not. Um, but yeah, that's definitely how I view it. Uh, yeah, I, like I said, it's it's uh, a long form story. I have the first issue all drawn, and actually half of the second issue drawn. I have all four issues plotted out. Um, as, as much as I plot things out and script them, mm -hmm. that's as uh, it's it's done. Um, and now it's just raising the money to get the first issue out there, and then whatever uh, money uh, comes in from that, the more I make, the more time I can allot to, to finish the second issue. You know. And so forth, so on and so forth. So, well, yeah, I want to talk about your process here in just a second. But one more thing about the story, you know, obviously we've talked about honoring your grandfather. How, how much of him, how much of his kind of character, uh, mannerisms, or personality is in Porkchop uh, that stars in the series? Very uh, more than uh, more than I thought imagined initially. Uh, right. Like his even just his gear. I, I I was looking at some of old photos that uh, I unfortunately can't find. But back then I had all these photos of him in like his worker out with his crew mm -hmm. and like with the gear and the, the hammer and the, just the blue collar ethos and the, and the aesthetic of it. That's, I wanted that to be 
part of it. I wanted him to look like he could work in a factory or a steel mill or, or you know, something of that, of that nature. And then also, like, like I said earlier, my grandfather was very stoic. So pork chop, um, I wanted the book to be as silent as possible. Um, the, the robots are the most loquacious and eloquent uh, speakers in the book. And I hand letter all the robot dialogue. But Porkchop's dialogue is very sparse. It's like two to three word sentences, maybe a couple of them where it's a little more uh, like standard uh, sentence structure. But for the most part, it's like grunts and hoofs and snorts and oinks. And they'll say like, good, got him, stuff, stuff of that nature. Because yeah. uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of like show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no like narrator. There's no, uh, you know, nothing like that. Because I kind of want it to be all there on the surface. Uh, I'm not going to explain how we got to this point. I'm not going to explain how Porkchop became a anthropomorphic talking pig. You can kind of come up with that on your own. Like maybe yeah. it was factory farming gone wrong. You know, uh, yeah. Some ooze. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's that. I mean, it's not necessarily that, that important, right? Like, let the yeah. visuals uh, tell the story. Let you know, lean into your lean into your strengths. So, uh, and speaking of those those strengths, you know, you mentioned kind of plotting it out. Um, do you do thumbnails or do you just go from like kind of an outline of plot to kind of the, the main layout? Like what's your process? And I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you mentioned technology probably work uh, traditionally still. Yes. Yes. I do some digital. I color digitally, obviously, like most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do digital edits. Like say I mess up a panel and I have to crop, you know, switch one in or out or flip something. Or even as I'm like going over formatting the pages for print, if I see something I need to fix, I'll fix it digitally. But I'm primarily all traditional pen and ink. Um, and, uh, as far as like my process goes, uh, if I'm doing it myself, like this is the first thing I've ever written myself and drawn, um, as far outside of like uh, comic strips or like one page, mini comic things. Mm-hmm. Normally I work with writers. I've drawn like Ninja Turtles. I've drawn, uh, Dark Horse titles and stuff for Oni and things of that nature. But this, uh, I kind of reverse engineer it. I say, this is what needs to happen this issue. And I go, okay, from this, how many pages? And this is what needs to happen on this page. And this is the page turn for at the end of each page. And then when I go down and instead of like going down and writing the, the page, writing it down, what happens on each page, since I know like, Hey, on this page, pork chop's going to dive into the lagoon and find these berries. So then I'll just start thumbnailing and, and thumbnailing, laying out the page, the action from there. So as opposed to like writing out, okay, well then he's going to dive down to the bottom. Then he's going to pick it. Then he's going to, I'll just go straight to, to doing the layouts since it's just, you know, I'm communicating to, my, communicating to myself. Right. So it's a, it's a lot easier in that sense than like working with a writer where it's like, you know, you're collaborating and you have to get approval and, and making sure that everyone's cool with what you're doing. And depending on who you're working with, some people are very cool about letting you cook on your own. And some people want to uh, have a say in every part of the process, which is fine. That's their, their deal. So, right. Yeah. It's almost like uh, when you think about storytelling, like the way you think about storytelling in your head, it, it, it's visual rather than, Hey, you know, kind of a broad concept where I'll describe it this way. It, it just, the story comes to you in a visual nature. Is that accurate? Yes. Very accurate. Very accurate. Yeah. I mean, it, it's almost like I, I have a scene in my head and I, how can I get to this scene? Cause I think this scene would be cool. Right. <laughs> like what do I have to do and what story do I have to tell or what, what little arc or even what little sequence do I have to create just to get to this payoff? Cause I think it's cool. Yeah. And then can I, yeah. And then can I tie that into the larger plot somehow? And then the story kind of grows from there. And that's kind of like in the beginning, the first uh, 10 pages or so are an action sequence where Porkchop infiltrates this robot base 
and uh, he sabotages it. I won't say what happens, but he sabotages it. And I want to do this set piece where there's like a fight with a giant bot and then he gets in and then there's a chase scene and a, a big climax. And I wanted to do that. That's, that's the, the meat and potatoes. Of what I wa- Sorry, my dog just fucked. That's what I wanted to, wanted to do. And uh, so I just kind of figured out from there, this is what I want to start the book off with. I want to pull the reader in with a fun action set piece. And then um, like the next uh, sequence, I knew I need to slow it down. Uh, I need to introduce the the reader now to pork chop and his surroundings and his the the world. So I slow it down. I introduce you to ro- to pork chop and his robot sidekick. It's kind of like his Alfred called Doug. Uh, ironically, he has a robot helper <laughs> who's, who's who's like the most loquacious character in the book. And uh, then you kind of figure out where he lives. He has this little oasis set up in the middle of the desert where he has a lagoon and he goes on a little adventure, a little quiet adventure in his lagoon. So I kind of wanted to like slow it down a little bit and also bring like a, a more emotional beat to it. And then of course the conclusion, there's a little more, there's a tease for the, the next issue. The next issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You mentioned emotion and, you know, talking about the, the story beats and yeah, you, you got to have quieter moments so that the, you know, big action sequences hit. It can't just be, you know, dialed up yeah. to 11 all the time, but being that you're coloring it also, you know, I know so oftentimes we talk about emotion. It's uh it's facial expression, right? Or body language, which can also be challenging when it's a pig rather than a human. Yeah. Obviously, he has human features, what have you. But yeah. like I said, you're also coloring it. And so often I feel like coloring comics is sort of like a soundtrack in a movie where it sets you up, you know, especially if it's like a horror or something and the, the music starts ramping up and it kind of sets you up emotionally. So do yes. you find that you convey emotion more through line work? Most of the color is a combination of both to, to really get across the, the emotion and the story beats that you want to hit. Yeah, both, both for sure. Like, you know, warmer colors and there's cooler colors and warmer colors. If there's like a, uh, an intense situation, you know, um, like, you know, obviously it's pretty simple. It's cut dry, like red, people are angry and it's red. Right. And people are happy and it's more green or blue. <laughs> I mean, that even plays a part in the first, uh, 10 pages. Cause like the robots, uh, their, their, their base is kind of like an off blue, like a teal uh, color. And then towards the middle, like a robot gets upset and all their dialogue is in like a green dialogue box, almost like a, like a phone or a computer screen. But mm-hmm. then when the robot gets upset, it kind of like radiates to red. Right. Yeah. You know? And that's, yeah. that's pretty low hanging fruit, but you know, it gets the job done. Uh, yeah. Do you, find yeah. That, do you bounce back and forth? Like, okay, I think this is ready for color. Start coloring it. Oh, maybe I need to go back and put the line work. Okay, let me go back and adjust the colors. Or are you pretty like set? Kind of okay. The line work's done. Now colors, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like what the line work is done, I go and coloring it. And sometimes as I'm coloring it, I'll see like, okay, well, maybe I can tweak this or change this, and I will if it's like an easy fix. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like you know, I've been doing it for I've been doing this professionally for over ten years now, like full time. So where it's like now I kind of understand like, yeah, this might be important to me to make this change, but the reader's not going to even catch it and right. not going to care. Is it worth like the time it's going to take me to change this? Like, is the reader going to give a crap? Yeah. Not even notice, you know? Yeah. Because like most people flip through the book and they maybe take 20 seconds of a page, you know, some people just flip through it even faster. So, you know, uh, generally speaking, I just go straight to the colors and, and I try not to like make any more edits especially if it's like something like this to where I'm doing it myself and there's no editor and there's no publisher and there's no real deadline, mm-hmm. so to speak. So like I could sit here and, and, and mess around with it all day long and <laughs> it would just 
I still got to draw like two other books that actually pay my bills. So yeah. it's like time, time is, is of the essence. So, um, and I've kept the color palette really simple. Uh, like I've just started getting into coloring my own work. Uh, I started I work in a program called Krita. It's uh, an open source program on Linux. And it's really, it's really, uh, I love it. It's real simple. The brush, there's a lot of good factory brushes in there. Um, and I started doing some pinups and some commissions, color commissions. And then I started doing some covers, I did some Rick and Morty covers for Oni and I colored myself. And I really got into coloring my own work um, and just finding like a simple palette uh, with like a simple cell shading technique. <clears throat> Sorry. Look at you saying that you aren't in the technology using Linux, coloring on stuff digitally. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's a different different headspace creatively, uh, coloring yeah. as opposed to. Uh, for, for me, it is. Yeah. yeah, it's like you said. It's it's more mood too, and it's also like um, you know, matching. For me, it's just my my color choices are the most important thing, because I generally like my art, my work when other some when other colorists when other people color it, I like it a more simple colored style. I don't. For my work personally, I don't think mm -hmm. my work looks the best if it's overly rendered. Right. Um, some people do, and that's great. Mine, I think, is more of like a it's more graphic. So I think more of like a you know simpler you know simple color choices are all I really need. And then I'll do some like shadows. I really don't do a lot of like highlights and tweaks and stuff like that. So it's just like a lot of cell shading and gradients and like uh, maybe some color holds here and there, and that's about it. And uh, for me, it's just about you know simple color stuff like oh, okay well you know green looks good on top of orange mm -hmm. the simple stuff that you learn in like sixth grade color theory or yeah. middle school color theory like you know. well yeah it's, uh, one thing i want to point out to our listeners you know I, i've had color on before alex sinclair is a, is a friend um but it's important to remember so when you start talking about using more primary colors more simple colors for someone like you your style of artwork you know it's more uh, like you're more of a cartoonist rather than yes. you know any kind of fairly realistic art like we see nowadays with like Lieber Mayhew or Jim Lee and what have you. And those guys are amazing, and I love their art as well. But you can't color their art the same way you can color your your art. It just doesn't bring out the yeah. the best in it. I'd say like Jim Lee, he's probably like he let he's probably that gap right like between like photorealism and cartooning because right. it's not it's definitely not photorealistic. Mm -hmm. Like you don't see people walk around Jack like that all day long. Yeah. Like you in Jim Lee's books, you'll see like a guy who works at a grocery store and he's he's got giant forearms and he's Jack. Yeah, yeah. But there's also like that a little bit of gritty realism to it. So it's like I, I I'm definitely like more on the cartoony side for sure. I have had people like compare my work to like a like a DWJ, like a Darren Warren Johnson or like mm -hmm. a Scotty Young, or, right? Yeah, or something like that. That's more towards where I lean, uh, and then I'm cool with that. That's kind of like got me a lot of work, and I love mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah and i love cartooning that's what i prefer it's like when i open a book i generally my personal taste is more cartoony like cartoonists mm -hmm. like like i even like you know people will call frank quietly like i love frank quietly and i consider him a cartoonist right but he has his own style of cartooning but it's cartooning yeah. generally i mean but it's it, you know his proportions are correct and his perspective is spot on and his and all that sort of stuff but he's a cartoonist you know like ramon villalobos is a cartoonist I love his work. I love like Nick Dragata. He's a cartoonist. 100%. I love, yeah, yeah 100%. Um, so I love that style of art more than I do, like, say, the Lee Berrimo or, or, you know, I don't even want to say Greg Land because he, you know, whatever. But like, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. It's not really my cup of tea. You know? Yeah. And again, there are guys um, that do that really well. Uh, yeah. Matia 
Imaris is another one, right? Like he just had the call come out with Kelly Thompson. And yeah, like you look at his stuff and he's even put up like sample on YouTube of him doing the digital painting. And yeah, it looks almost like a photograph. It's absolutely amazing, but it's just a different style of, of storytelling, yeah. which yeah. needs, you know, a different aesthetic color wise. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, it depends, I guess, you know, it depends on what the property or what the book is too. Like mm-hmm. my, my style of work would not, my style of art would not work on some, definitely would not work on some books. <laughs> you know, and it, yeah. like no one's going to want me to draw the Star Wars or the Star Trek or Star Wars book because, you know, I'm not going to draw like Harrison Ford. It's not going to look exactly like Harrison Ford. Yeah. You know, that's not going to be, you know, my thing. So, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's, that's fine with me. Um, yeah. Well, uh, from what we've seen, everybody on the pages, again, there's a link to the uh, campaign in the show notes. You can go click there and um, and check out the artwork. It's uh, it's absolutely f- fantastic. Tony's obviously knocking out of the park. Again, nice. a lot to do with the fact you want to, as you said, honor your grandfather. When your family heard about this project, you're bringing it to life. Were they excited that you were doing a story with the uh, Pope Chop in the title? Yeah. Yeah, I started in 2018, and um, I told my father about it, and he was – well, first, you know, my father, he was, he was born in 1939. So he's, he was, he, he passed away. He's not no longer with us, but he was, he's the old school, was an old school type of guy. So when I told him it was about a pig. He kind of was like, what? Like you're going to do a book about my father and it's going to be about a pig. <laughs> <laughs> but then I showed him some of the stuff and, you know, he got, he liked, he enjoyed it as much as he, as he could. Mm-hmm. He, he himself, he was a blue collar guy. He was a mechanic. So his art wasn't his bag either. Right. It was foreign to him. So, uh, but he was definitely cool with it. He, he enjoyed it. And, and like I have siblings who I've taught my sister who I've showed it to and told her about, and she's, she's super excited to, to pick up the book, um, as well. Uh, I don't know how many of my relatives, like I, to be perfectly honest, I don't want to get dark with this, but there's not too many around anymore. So, so that like the ones who are around, I don't even know if they knew his nickname was Porkchop because mm-hmm. so many people who are like, clo- or like uh, immediate family are, are gone. Are gone, yeah. Um, That's unfortunate. Yeah. And it's and you know how family is. It's it gets splintered and yeah. Stuff, so yeah, I know. Especially yeah, big Italian families, big Mexican families start getting yeah. you know first cousins, second cousins kind of thing, and everybody's off doing their own thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There's still family back in Italy yeah. that I talk to online. That you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't even yeah. know. We have no idea. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, what made you decide to go with uh, with Zoop? Um, you know, I think for a lot of creators, and maybe this is the case for you, uh, you want to focus on the actual, you know, creation of the book. You don't worry about shipping and logistics and, and yeah. what have you. Was that a lot to do with why you chose to, to go with them? Primarily, yeah, definitely. I could never do a Kickstarter on my own. Uh, I've done several several Kickstarters with collaborators like David Crispino and Bob France and Kevin Cuff and uh, Alex Wilson on, on different books like Ancient Noise and Starweed and Dust Pirates, and they were all successful crowdfunding campaigns. I've probably co-created and drawn uh, seven to eight crowdfunding books over my career over the last decade. And uh, but when those campaigns run, it's always like I'm helping with promotion, but the writer and the collaborators are always handling all the administrative and the shipping because I could never, I don't have the bandwidth to do any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and nor do I think I'm adept at it. Like if I tried to do it, I would fail. It's yeah. just too much organizing for my like creative brain self to figure out and handle. And like you said, like right now I'm coloring this and lettering it. And then I'm also drawing two other books and been then picking up freelance gigs too, like doing covers here and there and spot illustrations just to you know keep the lights on. Right. So doing handling shipping to 
even 10 people would be overwhelming and finding a printer and zoop handles all all of that if you if you if you get the, the one of the deals they offer they offer two deals i believe they offer the the deal i took where it's like they'll they handle all the administrative stuff and then they offer i believe it's more like a kickstarter type deal where if you have your own printer and your own setup that you want to do and they'll just run it like a kickstarter mm-hmm. and they have that split um but for me yeah it was perfect like you said zoop handles all that and that was like man this is like perfect for what i want to do yeah this is perfect because otherwise it would not it would not get done <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm always amazed when I see creators and, you know, more power to them, but they, they run these campaigns and then they, they show like on social media or what have you, they'll show the pallet being dropped off their whole like garage is filled with comics and they've got to ship all those out. I'm just like, Oh my God, how overwhelming. And you clearly, yeah. you're working on that. You're not writing, you're not drawing, you're not, coloring, no, you're not doing anything, not doing anything. <laughs> but all that all day long. So you can, you know, get rid of the, get those books out of your garage and park your car. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, crazy. No, it was it would be impossible. Also, like I live in a walkable city, and I got rid of my car eight years ago, yeah. so I don't even have a car anymore. So, uh, how would I even get the books to? Yeah, where would you even store them? Okay. Yeah, yeah, where would I even yeah. store them? How would I get them there? I'd have to yeah. hitch a ride or call a lift or something. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, perfect. Uh, perfect time for Zoop to step in and uh, and handle that. Yes. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about what some of the rewards, you know, obviously this is uh, the first of what we hope is going to be uh, four issues. Uh, yes. You can get the issue, you can get it digitally. What are some of the other things that uh, are available? Yeah, you can get the, the digital for five, uh, physical copy with my cover for nine. And then there's two variants by Ramon Villalobos and Ryan Level, good friends of mine. Uh, and you get those variants for 10. And then you can get a deal where you get all three of the, three of the, the covers for 27. So you save a couple bucks on the variants. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a print tier where you can choose three of three prints of, uh, I believe there's six options possibly uh, of prints that I've done where I've drawn and colored them. And they're 11 by 17 full color prints. And you get three of those in the book for $35. And then also uh, there's commission tiers, um, either nine by 12 or 11 by 17. And those are uh, either black and white or I'll color it and send you a digital file for an extra charge. And then there's also original pages up there as well. So, and yeah. two of the original pages have been scooped up already. I was going to say, I was going to say, you know, the fact that you still work traditionally is fantastic because so many artists these days, and I get it, it's a matter of time. Yeah. You know, we're just talking about having time, more time to spend with family, what have you, if you do it digitally. So few guys still work traditionally and to be able to have those pages. So it's fantastic that a lot of original art pages, everybody, but they are going to go quick. And this is original art, like one of one. So if you want a chance at it, you, know, you better go click that link and, uh, and check yeah. it out. Know. I didn't put the original, the first appearance of him, uh, the first page. Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised <laughs> that you put that out. But somebody snatched it up right away. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's still up there. Oh, is it? It's still, yeah, it's still that's there. That's not one of the ones that's gone. I thought that was no. one of these. It's, uh... No, there's uh, two other oh, pages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's fighting the giant. What He's like scaffolds up the giant robot. And then... Yeah. Um, there's another page, which is the originally. So the story behind the one page, uh, there's a page that says end chapter one. So originally when I started the book in 2018, I put the first 12 pages or so up on my Patreon. Uh, and it was like summer to fall of 2018. And that originally was like a chapter break. It was mm-hmm. like page 11 or 12, maybe even 13 or 14 or so. And then uh, in October, 2018, unfortunately my, my father had passed. So I shuttered my Patreon and, and took a couple months to process everything and 
and deal with the grief of all, and everything and, and get the house in order. And then uh, when I got back to work, uh, I kind of just sat on the pages. And then every couple of months, I draw a page or two when I, mm-hmm. I had the time or I had the muse or I felt motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we were mentioning Zoop uh, six months ago, when, or, or it was around six months ago when I noticed Zoop and they started making moves. I kind of went back and looked at the my Porkchop pages and I had like 40 some odd pages drawn. They were just sitting in my files. Yeah. You know, th- I wasn't doing anything with. So, so like that page is end chapter one. But in the book, it doesn't it doesn't say in the end chapter one. That's where I put the the credits. Gotcha. So you kind of get a cold open with this action sequence, and then you get the credits, and then, you know, done by me, and also the the the, the cover colorist is uh, Mike Spicer, so I credit him there as well. Yeah, I and mean, that that's just a fact. I mean, all the pages are are really fantastic. So uh, again, everybody, um, do yourself a favor, go click the link, check it out. Even if you think maybe it's not for you, um, I'll take this opportunity to remind everybody, as I always do, um, to just share it on social media, you know, um, or maybe it sounds like it's right up reality, but, you know, money's tight right now. I, I, I get that. Yeah. Maybe you want to join the campaign and you're not able to. The other way you can help Tony out other than joining the campaign and joining the community for this uh, project is just to share it. Put it out there on social media. Tell your friends about it. Let your local comic shop know. Maybe they want to get some copies for the shelf and what have you. Um we just want to make sure that everybody hears about this. So anybody who wants to, to join the campaign and wants to check it out um, gets a chance to. So, I mean, there's yeah. so, many, so many things about it that just sound amazing. You know, things like those silent G.I. Joe issues. You know, there's a little bit of that in there uh, with Porkchop being so yes. stoic and, and letting the uh, visuals tell the story. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mad Max with the post-apocalyptic desert kind of thing. I mean, it's going to scratch a lot of itches for uh, for a lot of people, I think, Tony. Yeah, yeah, I, ho- I hope so. Um, it's fun to do. Uh, you know, I, I get it. it's not going to be for everybody. Like um, some people either don't like my artwork or they don't like the story or they want something a little more uh, uh, heartfelt or maybe not heartfelt, but more uh, meaningful to them. You know, mm-hmm. something that speaks to the times or, or more realistic or grounded. And I get that. And, uh, you know, teach his own, teach their yeah. own. Um, but yeah, just share it or, or, you know, tell your friends about it, tell your shop about it. Um, we're at 1700 right now. The goal is three, 3000. Uh, and we're, we got 22 days left. So we got 22 days to raise 1300. Um, it's not impossible. You know, I've definitely yeah, noticed. Yeah. yeah. Like doing this long enough. You, I know the ebbs and flows of a campaign, you get the dead areas and yeah. just kind of fill, fill that dead area with more sort of content, so to speak. And, and just try to get the word out. And then there's always that push at the end if you haven't yet hit the goal. So I'm kind of hoping that like within the next week we can get the 2K. Mm-hmm. And then in the stretch run, we can kind of just hopefully hit a stretch goal. And the stretch goal is if we hit 5K, I do a five-page preview of issue two. I'll release that out to the to the backers. Um, and then uh, and if we have 5K, that gives me – I'll be able to take a month off to just finish issue two. And I can get that out and get that on Zoop promptly um, yeah that would be, fan- be fantastic uh, well, okay. if anybody has any questions about the campaign or or you know wants to reach out about your work where's the best place you have a presence uh, on social media or online or, or uh, where's the best place yeah i'm on uh twitter uh at tony gregory g-r-e-g-o-r-i and tony's t-o-n-y so at tony gregory and then on instagram i'm at tony gregory but tony is uh, i got real clever with it it's spelled t-o-e k-n-e-e so you know tony yeah, tony, tony, yeah. tony gregory and then i'm on blue sky 
uh, at Tony Gregory as well. So great. And I'll put links to the social media and the show notes, everybody. So if you're having trouble finding Tony, you have a question, just go, uh, go and, uh, you can, you know, go to the show notes. <laughs> what am I trying to yeah. say? Yeah. Go to the show notes, click on it. It'll take you right to it. So, uh, again, Tony, um, Best of luck with the campaign. You know, you're over halfway there. Still got a long way to go. Um, so hopefully uh, it gets funded. Great way to honor your grandfather. And it's been great chatting. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, uh, thanks for joining us as well. We really appreciate the support as always. And we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us. Subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.